Today on Event or Else, every hero on Earth joins forces to take out the Beyonder once and for all. At least I think it's every hero on Earth. I mean, it's probably not. Here it is, folks. Scratch your head and make your bed. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, because... Well, I was rejected by that dance school I applied to eight years ago, and so if I can't dance, then I guess I'll do this instead. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and we're all here together to wrap up Season 3 as we look at the final chapter of one lackluster Marvel event, Secret Wars 2. Today we're looking at issue number 9, which sports a cover date of March 1986 but it actually hit the stands in December of 1985. It's a double-sized issue, which sold for $1.25 at the time, and it is entitled God in Man, Man in God. It was written by Jim Shooter, pencils by Al Milgram, inks by Steve Lealoha, and the letters were by Joe Rosen and Rick Parker. The issue opens somewhere in deep space, where the one from beyond floats, contemplating existence. The plan, his plan, is to erase it. All of it. Just delete everything so that nothing remains. Not a sausage. Even his own memory of existence will get wiped. And that, he figures, is the tricky bit. Meanwhile, in a roadside diner somewhere in Colorado, Marsha Rosenberg, a.k.a. Volcana, eats donuts as she waits on hold on the diner payphone to talk to someone at the Avengers hotline. Eventually, she's put through to Reed Richards, who explains to Marsha that while he and the rest of the Fantastic Four are there at the Avengers mansion, the Avengers themselves are all, ironically, out looking for the Beyonder. So Marsha tells him all about her recent encounter with the one from beyond. You know, about how her boyfriend, the Molecule Man, Owen Reese, tried to throw down with the Beyonder, and it was only her quick thinking that saved all of existence. And so Reed tells her to stay where she's at, and that he and the rest of the FF are on the way. However, as the Fantastic Four storm out of the Avengers mansion, they are suddenly teleported instantly to a remote location in the Rocky Mountains. And they are not alone. With them are the Avengers, both the East and West Coast teams, Alpha Flight, Spider-Man, The Hulk, The Thing, Silver Surfer, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Power Man, Iron Fist, Cloak, and Dagger. Suddenly, the X-Men burst onto the scene. Like, literally. Rachel Summers, or the Phoenix, is just like, boom, with a big fiery phoenix all around her as the other heroes shield their eyes and protect their faces from rocks that are flying all about. Wolverine and Colossus are to one side of her. Wolverine has his claws out like he's about to attack somebody, and Colossus is knocking over a tree for some reason. On the other side of her is Rogue and Kitty Pride, and again, rocks and debris are just flying through the air, caused by the X-Men's overly dramatic entrance. Turns out it was Phoenix who brought everyone together, and though Wolverine is still standing there in a very threatening posture, his claws out, looking like he's about to stick all of them one by one, they all agree to work together to take out the Beyonder. Even Marsha is ready to pitch in, but Phoenix tells her that the only reason Marsha was brought along with all the rest 
was so that the Phoenix could get information about the one from beyond. And considering that she just pulled that information from Marsha's mind, eh, she sends Marsha home. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha! A split second later, Marsha finds herself standing outside her apartment building. Unsure what to expect after she pretended to give herself to the Beyonder in the previous issue, Marsha goes upstairs to the apartment she shares with Owen Reese and finds it an absolute wreck, with Owen right in the middle of it all, chilling in a recliner. Meanwhile, several hundred miles to the north, the Beyonder, for some reason, is flying around in a crappy little helicopter that he made out of thin air. Get to the chopper! Realizing that what he's doing makes absolutely no sense in regard to the current storyline, the one from beyond creates for himself an underground lair, eight miles beneath the surface of the Earth, where he can chill and think, because, well, he's still not sure if he truly wants to go through with the whole erasing all of existence thing or not. And so he deletes the chopper and creates instead a comfy chair. Sitting in silence in his comfy chair for the span of three panels, the Beyonder then creates a video camera so that he can talk through his thoughts out loud and get it all down on video for, I don't know, posterity? Regardless, the Beyonder explains to the future viewing audience, whomever that may be, I mean, seems like by making the video, he's telling us that he's already decided not to erase existence, right? I don't know, unless he plans on watching it later, but then again, if he erases all existence, including the memory of it, won't the video be erased as well? I mean, I won't say it doesn't make sense, because to me it actually makes perfect sense. I often find that I can come to a decision quicker if I talk it out, out loud, and if there's no one around to talk it out with, I have been known to record podcast episodes primarily just to talk through the problem out loud. So yeah, I get it. Anyway, the Beyonder goes through his basic origins, how he stumbled across our multiverse, and how that once, before he became aware of our multiverse, he was everything. He was the universe. He was all. But now, well, now he knows that there's more out there than just him. He is just one part of something bigger than himself, and that knowledge makes him feel incomplete, which in turn causes him to know desire. However, while every other being in the multiverse is content with pursuing the satisfaction of their desires, the one from beyond is omnipotent, meaning reality can be whatever he wants it to be. And so while he knows desire, because he can do and have anything he wants, he doesn't know what it is he actually desires. It's all pretty messed up. His only solution, or at least as far as he figures it, is to go back to being everything. Back to being his own universe. That way, he's no longer going to feel incomplete and thus will no longer know desire. In order to accomplish that, however, he will have to erase all of existence. But, and here's the rub, reality is what he perceives it to be simply because he is omnipotent. So just knowing that there is an existence makes it so, which means in order to erase existence, he has to erase his memory of existence or, in essence, erase his own mind. But with no memory, no thought, no mind, what is he then? Dead? 
His only other option, at least as far as he figures it, is to become mortal. Only by knowing that his life is no longer infinite will he then be able to truly know what it is he desires and therefore can pursue the satisfaction of that desire. But though he has taken human form, he's not truly human. And so to become mortal, he feels he needs to be born into a mortal body and thus creates a machine to facilitate this process. Before he uses the machine, however, he tests it out by using the machine to birth the new mutants. Cannonball, Mirage, Karma, Magic, Wolvesbane, and Cypher, all of whom the Beyonder had wiped from existence back in New Mutants number 37. So, he gathers the remnants of their energy that was still out there floating about in existence, and he feeds it all into the machine and sets it to working. Soon, the New Mutants are reborn, at least their physical bodies are. Their minds are empty husks. Well, he figures out what it was that went wrong, and so he makes a few adjustments to what he has decided to start calling his mama machine, and before he starts, transfers all of his awesome power into a big receptacle, like a big jar that he's attached to the side of the machine. With everything ready, he begins the process on himself. His physical body is transformed into energy that flows into the machine, and soon a fetus is formed inside, aging rapidly until a teenage Beyonder in tidy whities is birthed out of the other end. The Beyonder has become his own son. This new existence, however, freaks him the fuck out. He doesn't like it, not one bit. And so he plunges his hands into the big jar full of power that he set aside, and he becomes omnipotent once again. Meanwhile, back in Colorado, the Molecule Man tells Marcia that when she pretended to give herself to the Beyonder, it completely shattered him to the point where he wanted to die. After unleashing his frustrations, he realized that he didn't need her to live, and that to truly be alive and truly love her, he needed to learn to not need her. Happy to hear that Owen still loves her, the two kiss. Afterward, the Molecule Man decides that the Beyonder must be stopped at all costs. And with all of the other cosmic beings too scared to act, Owen decides that he has to be the one to do it. Back at the Beyonder's hideout, the Beyonder decides to give mortality another go. This time through the machine, however, he is less frightened and finds the limitations his mortal body gives him quite exciting. However, these new experiences are cut short when Mephisto arrives with a horde of demons to get revenge on the Beyonder for his constant meddling in his affairs. Despite the Lord of Lies' attempts to torture the now mortal Beyonder, the one from beyond realizes that Mephisto can only project illusions and manages to fight through them and regain his powers, becoming omnipotent yet again. With the Beyonder restored to normal, Mephisto gets to step in. On the surface above, the gathered heroes are joined by the Molecule Man and Volcana, who offer their aid, which the heroes accept. I mean, I'm sure they're more than happy to have the Molecule Man on their side, but as far as Volcana is concerned, well, they booted her once, so they only accept her now because she's with Owen, who, it should be noted, the heroes allow to lead them against the Beyonder. 
Speaking of which, eight miles below them, the one from beyond has detected the presence of the heroes above and realizing that he will always be a target, decides to take steps. Besides, he's about to go through the mama machine one more time to become mortal, though still maintaining his vast cosmic powers, and he needs to buy some time to make that happen. And so, recreating Warlock to join his fellow New Mutant zombie team, he sends them off to the surface to keep the assembled heroes busy. It's not long before the gathering of heroes defeat the New Mutants, and with that little distraction nipped in the bud, the Molecule Man takes the heroes down into the Beyonder's subterranean lair, where they do battle with the one from beyond. Soon enough, it's the Beyonder and the Molecule Man going toe-to-toe, the two struggling against one another until eventually, Owen begins to weaken. The heroes come to his aid, attacking the Beyonder, pouring it on in a mad rush until the Beyonder lashes out in one massive stroke that takes out not only his enemies, but cuts a path of destruction across the Earth and out into space. The Beyonder then uses his powers to restabilize the planet long enough for him to enter his mama machine once more. The heroes, meanwhile, and to no surprise to anyone, have survived the Beyonder's final blow thanks to the Molecule Man who used his remaining strength to protect them and teleport any humans that could have been killed by the Beyonder into a pocket dimension until the damage to everything can be repaired. And so, as the Mama Machine begins birthing the Beyonder into his mortal form and infusing it with his vast cosmic power, the heroes attack once more. The Mama Machine, however, has a defense mechanism that would have killed them all dead had Spider-Man not shattered out a warning, causing the Invisible Woman, Phoenix, and the Silver Surfer to shield them all. The heroes, now more than a little pissed off, attack the machine, meaning to destroy it with the Beyonder inside. Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, stretches out, putting himself between the attacking heroes and the machine, telling them that there's now a baby on board. And as he holds them all back, the Molecule Man fires out a blast of energy, destroying the machine and killing Baby Beyonder. As the baby dies, its power is unleashed on the world. Heck, the entire multiverse, blinding everything in a bright white light. Eventually, the white event ends and the heroes are left stunned and confused. Why are they alive? Why is the world not destroyed? Turns out the Molecule Man saved the entire multiverse by channeling the Beyonder's energy back into the universe that was once the one from beyond. In the aftermath of the battle, the heroes are filled with sorrow to find that the baby is dead. As they walk away, Captain America tells Owen that he is a hero for saving them all. In the empty universe where the Beyonder once resided, his immense power returns, causing a big bang that creates an entirely new universe that begins to teem with life, much like that from the Heroes universe. With new, mortal life coming into existence, the Beyonder finds in death the fulfillment he sought in life. And with our synopsis now complete, it's time for the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments in the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. Funny or sad, stupid or dumb, I'm still going to talk about them. Thing to dwell on number three, Mr. Fantastic's powers confuse me. 
Actually, his powers in general don't confuse me. Not at all. It's just that, well, there's this one single panel in the issue, the one near the beginning of the book after Reed talks to Marsha. It's the panel that shows the Fantastic Four rushing out to go to, I don't know, I guess the airport because Reed says, if only we still had our pogo plane, it'll take us hours to get to Colorado by conventional transport. Which that by itself makes me laugh because now I'm picturing the Fantastic Four on an airplane in full costume in coach sitting there along with the other passengers, just like Cap was in the first issue. But I digress. So the Fantastic Four are all rushing out of this big room, right? Johnny, the human torch, he's all aflame and he's flying and there's a flame trail leading off panel. And I honestly have no idea how he can do that without just setting fire to everything he passes. But that's a thought for another time. To to get back to things, the Human Torch, as I said, is flying. She-Hulk and the Invisible Woman are running. But it's Reed that I want to point out, obviously. He is stretching, which is what Reed does, right? The top half of his body is in the foreground. Then his torso is all stretched out behind him, disappearing around a corner where the bottom half of his body is somewhere back there off panel. And it makes me wonder why he uses this particular method to move about. I mean, he's stretching, right? I get that. But I'm assuming that he gets the upper half of his body to a certain point along his path. And then what? He grabs a hold of something until the lower half of his body, after being stretched out, just boing, snaps back into place. Then he stretches out again, only to reach another certain point there up ahead, grabs a hold of something, and then lets the lower half catch up again. It, it just seems like a dumb way to get around, especially if you're in a hurry. I mean, I can only imagine that when his lower half is snapping back into place, that it's knocking over all kinds of shit back there. Well, I mean, that is unless he stretches, grabs a hold of something, and then brings his lower half to him at the same speed in which he stretched out his upper half. And if that's the case, it just feels like that would take too long. Like the slinky dog in the Toy Story movies. Why didn't he just make his legs stretch to like two to three times longer than normal and then run using these long leaping strides? It, it just seems more efficient to me. It's, it's just never made any sense because yeah, his front half is out there staying caught up with all of the other heroes but his back half is still back behind everyone, and eventually it has to get where his front half is at some point, right? I don't know. What do you think? Email me, event or else at gmail.com. Thing to dwell on number two, what's Jim got against full-figured women? So I've talked about this before, but it's rare that Marsha Rosenberg makes an appearance in this event without some sort of comment on her weight. It was the same thing in the first Secret Wars, and here in this issue, page two, as she's in the diner, she's on the payphone, she's waiting on hold with the Avengers hotline, she orders from the waitress six donuts. Then, in the very next panel, as one of the hotline operators comes back on the line, Marsha has a mouthful of donut, and it's played up like a joke because she's trying to talk with all this food in her mouth, and because she's got like... I don't know, an entire donut or two stuffed in there between her cheeks. She can't speak correctly. She can't enunciate. And the operator thinks they have a bad connection. I mean, in one of the panels, there are actually pieces of donut flying out of her mouth. Anyway, it's unnecessary. And frankly, I'm 
quite sick of it. I didn't appreciate it the first time they pointed out her weight, and I'm done with it at this point. They actually have the operator, as Marsha is trying to talk with her mouthful, thinking to themselves, and I quote, Why do I get all the fruitcakes? This one sounds like she's literally out to lunch. Ha 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 ha! Jim Shooter, you, sir, can suck it. Suck it! Thing to dwell on, number one, a new universe. Wait, does that mean the new universe? Okay, so if you're not aware, Marvel launched a new line of comics in 1986 that they called the New Universe. Conceived by Jim Shooter to honor Marvel's 25th anniversary, the New Universe was envisioned as a separate line of comics set in a realistic world where extraordinary events took place. No hidden races, gods, mythological beings, magic, or super technology. It was just people with supernatural abilities and such trying to make it in what would, in essence, be our world. These rules, however, would be broken almost immediately. Anyway, the line launched in July 1986, seven months following the ending of Secret Wars 2, with, in alphabetical order, Kickers Incorporated, Mark Hazard, Merc, Nightmask, Cyforce, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, and Starbrand. The line then continued in August with DP7 and Justice. Now, it's been a while since I've read many of those books, and frankly, if I had both my druthers and time on my hands, I would do a podcast on the entire line. But if I remember correctly, the thing that kicked it all off in the new universe was something called the White Event, which was a moment in time when everything all around the Earth went white. Following the White Event, people began manifesting strange powers and such. Well, that's basically how Secret Wars 2 ends, right? The Molecule Man destroys the Mama Machine with Baby Beyonder inside, and as the baby dies, the massive cosmic energy stored inside is unleashed, and everything goes white as Owen directs the energy into the Beyonders universe, thus creating a new universe. Now, having said that, I'm about 90% sure that Secret Wars 2 has nothing at all to do with the new universe, but the ending of Secret Wars 2 and the origins of the new universe are hardly what I'd call coincidental. And frankly, if they truly do have nothing to do with each other, then Jim really missed an opportunity there, right? Probably. Anyway, those were the top three things to dwell on. So now we come to that time in the show where I wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book, or in this case, the series in general. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? It wasn't a great event, but I knew that going in. I don't, however, regret reading it, even for a second time, because as I've said, I read it as it was coming out back in 85, so this time through would be my second time, you know, through. Heck, I don't even regret its existence. Despite being a bad story, I think Secret Wars 2 showed how ambitious a comic book publisher like a Marvel or a DC can get with an event, and in a lot of ways, helped to pave the way for the modern comic event that we see today. I think publishers were able to look at Secret Wars 2 and learn what they could do, and more importantly, what they shouldn't do when planning out future events, especially when it comes to tie-in issues. But here's the thing. The event at the time sold a lot of comics. It just wasn't liked very much by the readers, which seems a bit contradictory. But as I said when we began Season 3, Secret Wars 2 
has the dubious distinction of being 1985's best-selling comic book, however, at the same time being one of the most despised comics of the year, which, good for them. The art, as I've said multiple times throughout this season, was, again, small is the only way I can describe it, almost insignificant. It was also both too busy and super sparse at the same time. I don't, I don't know how you manage to do that, but that happened here. But as I've also said many times, I place the blame on Jim Shooter and the story that he was trying to tell. I don't blame Al Milgram at all. Not really. Al had a lot of story to pack into a space much too small to tell that story and to tell it well. Maybe if they had made this a 12-issue event like Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, maybe the art could have done something a bit different. But, you know, there's really no point in second-guessing those decisions at, you know, this point. I don't know. What'd you think? What'd you guys think? Did you enjoy this series? Did you hate it? Were you mad at me that you had to read it again? Let me know. You can send your thoughts to event or else at gmail.com. And, hey, if I get enough of them, get enough emails you know, enough to build an entire episode around them. I'll do a special season three bonus episode where I will share your thoughts. Until then, folks, with season three complete, let's talk a bit about what is coming up. And of course, that should be season four, which we're shifting back to DC and we're going to talk about Legends. This was a six issue event that ran from August of 1986 to January of 1987. And it featured the talents of John Ostrander on plots, Len Wein on scripts, John Byrne on pencils, and Carl Kessel on inks. Now, with that said, because I've yet to get episodes out in a consistent weekly schedule, my plan at this point is to get all six episodes of season four done before I release any of them. So there may be a pretty decent sized break between this episode and the start of episode four. And frankly, that just might be my go-to way for every season going forward. So just keep that in mind. Again, if you have any feedback or you want to give your thoughts on Secret Wars 2, write me at event or else at gmail.com. And hey, if you actually want me to podcast about the new universe, let me know. Because nothing will get me moving forward on a podcast idea like the knowledge that you, the listener, wants me to do so. So until season four starts up, folks... Keep reading them comics and stuff. Bye. Event or Else is a Stephen or Else production. Find more great podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash stephenrorr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's a snore. <laughs> uh, that may go at the end of the scene. better. The Molecule Man takes the heroes down into the Beyonder's subterranean lair. The Molecule Man takes the heroes down into the Beyonder's subterranean, subterranean, subterranean lair. The Beyonder then uses his powers to re- 
The heroes, meanwhile, and to nobody's surprise, <laughs> the thing that kicked it all off in the new, why can't I talk? Go away.